get a booster or not get a booster? That is the question, and we have the answer tonight on the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. Also, what is the CDC recommending for you to do at the holidays? Curious if you'll be a fan. Also, do you need some life advice from emotional wellness to grief to anxiety? Dr. June, a syndicated relationship columnist, cooks up advice on the program tonight. And think ED affects only the old guys? Think again. Not to worry, things are looking up. The Sunday Night Health Show podcast starts now. We are hitting the headlines. You've heard his voice many, many weeks before on Sunday nights. He is the Associate Professor at College of Medicine and Allied Health Sciences at the University of Manitoba and also University of Sierra Leone. Dr. Kendrachuk's research focuses on circulation, transmission, and pathogenesis of emerging viruses that pose the greatest threat to global human and animal health. And he joins me once again on the line. Good evening, Dr. Kendrachuk. Good evening. I'm, I'm excited to hear the answer on uh, whether or not people need boosters. I, I'm certainly <laughs> waiting to figure that out myself. <laughs> well, I'm going to say that I've already made my decision. <laughs> I got Pfizer. I'm a healthcare worker. I work with yep. a lot of people, oftentimes sick people. And uh, I, although I do wear masks and I don't visit indoor restaurants, I don't do indoor anything <laughs> except in my own home. Um, but uh, and I'm so I'm fairly compliant all around. But I understand that it's a very small study. Maybe you can. Um, yeah, embellish this or expand on this a bit. Um, but the Pfizer vaccine, which is what I got, looks like the antibodies decrease after about seven months. Yeah, you know, it, it's complicated, right? How much, much like everything else with this pandemic. And I think what, what we're seeing is not necessarily surprising. Certainly, we see some waning of antibodies, uh, both with Pfizer, AstraZeneca, and then, uh, you know, even with uh, Moderna, I think, you know, we will certainly see something along the same lines. The question is going to be um, you know, whether or not that uh, reduction that we see is just natural and we still have good memory uh, if we're re-exposed or if there actually is truly a loss in, in protective effect. And, and I don't think we fully know. And, and certainly, you know, the, the issue is that we get into the age stratification, right? So um, what we're kind of looking at now is, again, from a risk assessment standpoint, what does this data suggest, and if it's actually, uh, you know, indicative of loss of, of protection, who are the age groups and who are the people that, that are going to be in the greatest risk? And that's why I think you're seeing the discussions coming forward about, uh, you know, about boosters and, and actually going out to those very specific populations right now. Absolutely. You know, I tend to uh, try to stay on the safe side, which is why I'll, I just thought, mm. what the heck? I might as well do it. <laughs> That's kind of my approach to all of this. I haven't grown a, a third eye or a horn <laughs> on my forehead yet from the other two vaccines. Um, but we're still in this, uh, in, in particular where you are in Saskatchewan and Alberta, uh, COVID is uh, just raging and, it, and it's really a, a public health crisis. And people are, you know, working incredibly hard. And I do want to... Um, make mention to all of the healthcare workers out there, the frontline responders, first responders, doctors, nurses, pharmacists, housekeeping, cafeteria people, everybody that's keeping that system going. Um, but it's devastating what's going on in both of those provinces. Well, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate in the sense that, you know, we, we got back to Winnipeg June 1, 
Uh, and we were in Saskatchewan for a year. So we, we missed the third wave and the second wave in Manitoba because we were mm-hmm. in Saskatchewan where we didn't see that. And then vice versa, we're in Manitoba now. We're rotting it out pretty well. Um, Saskatchewan's in, in very, very bad shape, as is Alberta. I've got connections to both provinces because I grew up in one and have family in another. Um, you know, it, it, it's hard to watch because I think that all of us that, that have been immersed in this from an infectious disease standpoint are sitting here saying, we we told you this was going to happen. The, all right. the indications were there, um, but you still forged ahead. And there really has been a reluctance in trying to to enact new policy. Certainly Saskatchewan, we haven't seen really any uh, abdication of, of, uh, of the, the reopening plan so far. Um, so it's it's tough. I, I don't know how long this is going to go on for outside of saying it's going to be a while yet. Absolutely. And I was, uh, I, I actually don't remember her name, but it was an ICU physician who was speaking out uh, tonight about how many young patients that, you know, that are um, near the end and that are begging to be given yeah. the vaccine at that stage. And when, it, when it's much too late at that point. But I think what a lot of people don't realize, and so many people will say, well, 99% of people will recover from coronavirus, but it's that transmissibility and that impact on the healthcare resources. What are your thoughts on the, um, the new COVID pill that uh, yeah. has been developed by Merck? Yeah, Molnupiravir, right? You know, there's, I mean, there's, there's a Canadian connection to all of this. So Molnupiravir was, uh, was developed a few years ago now, looking actually at influenza and, and more broadly at, at other emerging infectious diseases. And then, of course, SARS-CoV-2 hit, and, and people started looking at repurposing this drug for, uh, for, for these purposes. The Canadian connection is uh, Dr. Matthias Gote, who's at University of Alberta, um, his lab, uh, actually took um, the drug and actually did studies to figure out the mechanism of action. So we were was already in clinical trials. We we were starting to see some data suggesting that it worked, but the the reality was we didn't have a real specific idea of how it worked. Um, his lab did that. So you know where where we are now is it looks like there is an orally available drug that if given early to, to mild or moderate patients, you do see uh, you know a pretty significant reduction in hospitalization and, and fatalities. That's great. The downside is it's costly, right? So we get back to this issue of saying, listen, this is we need to have drugs at the front line for people that, that get sick. Um, far better to get vaccinated and not get sick in the first place and not transmit it. Um, but certainly the, we need to have antivirals. Vaccines are great, but if you still have cases that, that are slipping through or you have waning immunity or you have reluctance in communities, you need to have something that, that you can offer to patients early in the course of disease before they ever get hooked up to a ventilator. That's right. And the study that uh, Merck did tracked uh, 775 adults with mild to moderate COVID who were considered high risk for severe disease because of other health problems such as obesity, diabetes, and heart disease. Um, there, it looks like, although the um, there hasn't been a peer review on this, but um, which is the normal procedure for vetting new uh, research, which is or outside experts reviewing yep. it, um, it does look like they are going to be going to the they're going to submit the data to the FDA uh, in the next yep. few days. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, with the clinical trial, they they actually had enrolled about twice as many as as the patients that, that we've heard about, but they stopped the trial early because the data was so good. So what what can happen is you can do this where the data is is so convincing, you don't have any reason to continue to enroll people. You can roll, you can pull that data then, 
and actually go into submission. So it's very, very promising. Merck is certainly releasing their data. We don't ever want to see data, you know, being being presented uh, by press release as opposed to publication. Um, but certainly there's, you know, the, the company has taken it upon themselves to say, listen, this is, we, we are moving ahead on this. So we will see the full data sets very, very soon. Do you think that there's a chance, and this is, I'm asking your opinion, I guess, here, um, that for people who are hesitant to get the vaccination for COVID, they might think, hey, there's a pill. Why would I get a vaccination when I can just take a pill if I get sick? Oh, Marie, you're asking the question that drives me nuts, right? So ultimately, 100%, I've talked to people that have said, listen, if there was an antiviral, I'd jump on this in a second. So, you know, the, I guess the, the unhappy part of me looks at this and says, this is a drug that is still going to be under emergency use authorization that will not have gone out to billions of arms. And, and people likely will look at this and say, well, this is safer than going to a vaccine. Um, so we will still struggle with this issue of uh, you know, of people certainly being able to transmit and, and long-term immunity and, and all these other concerns. Um, but if if it gives us the ability to treat people that, that don't get vaccinated, um, that's good. We, we still have to save lives. Um, and, and livelihoods and families. So, uh, you know, it's, it's good to have that benefit. I just, if we could just convince people to get vaccinated, that would be number one. It's just amazing that the scientists are continuing on this work, um, especially in the face of how it's been politicized and there's been so so much divisiveness and, um, you know, there's so much misinformation about it. And yet the scientists continue to persevere uh, to save lives no matter what. Merck only studied this drug in people who were not vaccinated, but but likely this drug would work for people who have breakthrough cases of COVID as well, would you say? Yeah, but, yeah, but the mechanism of the drug is that it, it acts directly on the virus. So, you know, based on, on mechanism of action, there would be, I would be unbelievably surprised if there was any difference in effectiveness in, in somebody that had a breakthrough infection versus somebody that was unvaccinated. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Dr. Jason Kindrichuk is my guest. Thanks so much for staying on the line, Dr. Kindrichuk. I have a text message. I have a text message from a listener who didn't dare to call. (laughs) Where where is all the carnage of these videos from the ICUs? Um, Basically, uh, was the text message. Um, you know, there are privacy issues, but a lot of people do post on Twitter once they, I don't know if you've seen those, uh, Dr. Kinderchuk, but they post when they're on CPAP or on high, um, levels of oxygen and they're obviously having difficulty breathing. It might be just before they're going to be intubated. Um, but go ahead. And we've seen, we've seen certainly the news reports from the ICU. Listen, I, 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 I will just say this very respectfully. If, if we're still, if we're at this point in the pandemic and we are still debating whether or not the ICUs are actually being overrun and that we no longer trust, um, physicians across Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. globe that are coming forward, there's we, we've got to we've got to take a few seconds and, and think about what you know what we really consider to, to be reality. Exactly, and there was actually a nurse manager tonight who actually um, gave an impassioned plea on on one of the social media channels. Um, and you know, nurses are the most trusted profession, <laughs> may, may I say? And so you make a great point. Of course, when we stop trusting physicians, you know, what have we become? Uh, somebody actually uh, tweeted in and said, or texted in, sorry, 
I haven't seen a legit leaked video or even any people that have had COVID and don't seem like paid actors. You know, well, that speaks to the privacy respect and you know, privacy protection of patients in hospitals. Thank goodness that there's no leaked videos. Um, because when you have nurses, respiratory therapists, physicians going around videotaping patients, you know, again, where, where are we? Um, what has well, this world come to? I, I mean, to be fair, I mean, we had, you know, one of the Edmonton Oilers today that, uh, you know, that was, is, you know, is revealed he's been diagnosed with myocarditis due to COVID-19. Mm-hmm. I, how, how many more stories do we need of, of people that have been sick to say, oh, yeah, you know what, the, the disease actually is real. I, 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 I'm at the point I can't entertain the people that don't believe the virus is real um, because it, it is it's completely counterproductive to everything else we are trying to do it, it is and i say to people don't tempt fate people who make fun of it or people who, yeah. who think it was exaggerated i just think do not tempt fate i actually i uh, spoke about this a couple of weeks ago i know somebody who was not vaccinated and and nor was her husband and at that time both were ended up in icu they were on different parts of the country when they actually contracted covid and both ended up in icu in the same area and um, he has since passed away. Um, you know, it, it's these stories are real, and you know, people just don't don't believe them. Uh, but it's also it doesn't help that for many people it is mild illness, and then yeah. also the vaccinations we have learned through time that people can get bra- breakthrough cases, but they typically don't get as sick or they're not as likely to be hospitalized. What just quickly, we don't have too much time left. What are some of the advancements if you were to, you know, review the last year? What what is some uh, of the significant progress that uh, we've made? <laughs> so I, much. I, I mean, you know, vaccine, 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 right? I mean, uh, it, it, we have never been in this point historically before, with, yeah. with, uh, certainly with vaccines. But I mean, even just look at, at, at supportive care for patients, um, you know, the use of ECMO, the use of corticosteroids, um, you know, our ability to to do uh, much better diagnostic testing, um, it, 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 our ability to understand, you know, better, certainly the different animal species now that are getting infected by uh, this virus and, and getting a right. better idea of what, I don't know, it's, it, it continues to be complex, but man, every mm-hmm. day it, it's another breakthrough for us. And it certainly is the the, cell, the home kits, the home testing kits are yeah. an important part of this and uh, RT-PCR tests and rapid testing. Um, you know, is there's just been so many advancements and, you know, we could have been looking at four years of, of last year. Um, you know, last year they didn't, they, uh, there was recommendations from the CDC not to use fans. I remember a lot of epidemiologists saying we're not fans of fans. And now this year it looks like, um, you know, some of our top health authorities are, are recommending if you have older people coming for holiday dinners, install a fan in your window if you're having other people in the home as well you know if you're having guests what are your thoughts on fans <laughs> quickly yeah, I mean, we, have, we have 30 we, seconds we, we know ventilation works right i, I mean that's open open a window use a fan do everything you can to to increase ventilation i i, I go back to this idea boring though i'll just say quickly is that more people have died now in the u.s uh than died during the 1918 pandemic COVID is serious. We, uh, we cannot argue this anymore. It's a, a, a question now of how we get out of it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Kendrachuk. Always appreciate your contribution to the Sunday Night Health Show. Thanks, Marty. Take care. 
Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Before I get to my much-anticipated guest, I do want to read a couple of texts from a listener. Uh, and the listener writes, no name, There's many viruses and bioterrorism is real. This is complete BS. A friend covered a camera that was placed in a room. They're putting cameras in the ICUs. It's complete BS. It's like, well, if bioterrorism is real, then why isn't this real? Even if, <laughs> anyway, even though it's not bioterrorism, but if it were, um, and maybe it is, <laughs> um, but it's still a virus that has been unleashed into a society for the purpose of killing. Um, and also, okay, great. A friend covered a camera that was placed in the room. Where is that? But you've given me a great idea. I have lots of friends who are intensive care unit nurses, and I am going to get one to come on the air and to share some stories anonymously, of course, because we always have to protect the privacy of our patients. Um, now, do you need some advice in life? Who doesn't need advice? And I'm delighted to have my next guest, uh, Dr. June Hall, affectionately known as Dr. June, is the founder of Time to APT, Accentuate Positive Thinking, which facilitates personal and professional development workshops. She's also a nationally syndicated advice columnist with Tri Tribune Content Services. She's a public speaker and host of her YouTube show, Cooking Up Advice, and she joins me on the line. Good evening, Dr. June. Good evening. How are you? Well, I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Very well. Long-awaited interview. I've been. I need so much advice. Let me tell you. <laughs> anyway, I don't think so. Uh, I think you're the advice giver. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, the cobbler's kids have no shoes. Um, but if you have any questions for Dr. June out there, anything in about anything in life, she's amazing. The number to call is one eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. That's one eight seven seven. 399-9898. On your YouTube channel, Dr. June, you talk about everything from grief to anxiety to emotional wellness to when they steal your money when you're in a, an intimate relationship. Um, what are some of the most common issues that people face or people write into you about? I think that a lot of people write about relationships um, to me and not just romantic relationships, but family relationships as well, between mm -hmm. maybe their children and themselves or their in-laws, um, between, of course, romantic relationships, their spouses, boyfriend, girlfriend. Right. And I think the main problem is uh, outside forces interfering with their relationships. Outside forces, what do you mean by that? I mean, it's with children and with um, their spouses, the career seems to be an outside force, whether, and I always say there really is no true balance. So, you know, stop trying to kill yourself, <laughs> trying to balance exactly. it out because it's unreal. But also in terms of sometimes what careers they want their children um, to take, family members interfering like in-laws or even neighbors and they will ask well you know what they're having too much conversation with our neighbor and I don't think that they should be talking with our neighbor as much about our relationship or about people in general and just outside forces like that interfering with the relationship within the home. Wow very interesting um, and, and people succumb to these outside forces do they and then it causes uh, grief I guess 
in in the home? It does. When people start interfering with a couple and, you know, we'll, we'll stick with the romantic aspect of it, then yes, it interferes with the couple's relationship. Because what happens is that they're now thinking about what somebody else is saying as opposed to what perhaps you you have put together in a relationship. You know what I mean? So it's like, stop trying to hear what other people say, but listen to what you and your spouse have built together. And so that is a, a part of the problem. Can I read one of the questions to you? By all means. So this is one of the ones I was talking about. It says, my husband does not like me talking to our neighbor anymore. He says she's a bad influence and we gossip too much. He doesn't trust her. And so I told him this just normal neighborhood banter. Then he really got upset and said there's nothing normal about that because she's probably gossiping about us too, depending on what you share regarding our 16-year relationship. We have been happy together, and I don't want the neighbor ruining our relationship. I think it's nice to be friendly with our neighbors, and I'm feeling like I'm in the middle and hope you can tell me how to get out. Gossip trouble in Chicago. So though that's what I mean. In this particular instance, she's talking with the neighbor. She might be sharing what the husband is concerned is something about their relationship, and he is looking at this woman as a gossiper. So that's one example of the type of questions or um, a mother-in-law meddling or a father-in-law meddling. And what I gave this woman when I, the gossip trouble, I told her that um, she should be right, that she's right. She should be concerned about that situation and she should start with her husband and that he should be before the neighbor, okay, and that she should right. be careful what she's saying. And if it if there is a situation with gossip, two things can happen. One, she could share information that you share with her about your relationship, and two, she could turn around and say, "Hey, listen to what whatever her real name is said about you." When it's really her that's saying it, so I said that she needs to hone it in. Um, you don't want anyone to interfere with your marriage and explain to your husband that you understand where he's coming from and that you will handle things differently going forward. Now, did was she having issues? I mean, is it, I, I imagine as an advice columnist, now I have a clinical practice, so I typically nine times out of 10 see both people in the couple. And, you know, I can hear a long and involved story from one of the people in the couple and then an entirely different perspective once I meet the spouse. Um, or sometimes I'll meet the two of them at the same time, and then they separately I will talk to them because they, they can't really oftentimes be 100% honest. Um, do you find it's difficult to just, you're basically hearing one person's side. What is that, um, how does that impact your advice? I think you're actually right. And I don't know if you probably didn't know this about me, but I actually used to be a family counselor and couples counselor. (laughs) There you go. So you know. (laughs) You don't even have to talk to the spouse. You can get the whole story from one of them. You can see through the lies, the betrayal, the cheating, (laughs) the nastiness, (laughs) the sociopath. Yes, you've seen it all. (laughs) Well, that's very beneficial, I would imagine, all kidding aside. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. It really is. So actually what I do say, I always say this on one side, <laughs> I'll say that and, um, when I answer the question. So you'll see that a lot in my responses with relationships. On one side, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. then I'll go into whatever the spiel is and then I'll say, but on the flip side, <laughs> so exactly. they can see both scenarios. Yeah. Because you're exactly. right. You never know um, what who is telling the full story and who is not telling the full story. And so, I mean, I've even had where uh, one a man he written he had written to me, and I received a call from an ADA assistant district attorney and said, "Do you still have this letter?" I said, "Actually, no, I don't." And he tried to use it. He had done something. Um, harmful or illegal when it came to his ex-girlfriend and he Mm. said oh you know he was just insane at the time he said this counselor told me you know that i should seek professional help so he tried to put it on me (laughs) of course uh, yes if they don't blame the mother blame the counselor um now something else that is a big issue it seems to be these days i have about three or four patients that i've heard this from you know and this is out of my uh scope of practice but it does impact their lives and their relationships and their mental health and it's family estrangement and so it seems to be that uh these women have sons they all have sons there's only three or four of them uh who get married and they've uh the daughter-in-law is very upset with the mother-in-law for a very small reason for nothing they were offended they were insulted they don't agree with uh, who knows whatever all of these nebulous reasons and and so therefore they have cut off relations with the in-laws um the son and they are the parents of the son so to my mind and i'm not treating them i will send them off to somebody else to to get help but it seems to be more and more common um, and it's terrible. It, it would be an awful thing that would happen in a family this, that there's no um, speaking to their son any longer because he's uncomfortable. He's standing by his wife. They may have children. They don't meet the grandchildren. Um, what, is, is there any help for this? I mean, I've had women who are, are depressed. Um, you know, they have to go on antidepressants. They, um, you know, they, they don't know what they did. They, you know, they feel like there's been a death in in the family, yet they're still living. Some have cut off uh, communication with all of the family members. What is this um, sort of newfound family estrangement that seems to occur? And and also, I want to say, I do hold the their sons responsible um, for not standing up. But I, I'd be very interested to hear what you would have to say. Two words immediately come to mind are immaturity and selfish because that is quite unnecessary to cut yourself off and not allow these grandparents to meet their grandchildren or have a relationship with their own son. I agree with you that the son should have a different stance and there should be a communication and he needs he should be the one to explain to the wife that listen I understand that you are now the new woman in my life, but she was the first woman in my life. And there needs to be a compromise, a collaboration. I believe that's the mature thing for the husband to do when it comes to that situation. Now, if the mother has done something that was inappropriate, that 
really caused the rift, then he needs to talk to the mother and say, hey, listen, if you want to continue to be a part of our lives, this is the situation, and I really need for you to consider your actions and your words. So, yes, he's kind of like the sandwich. But what happens when the communication is cut off? These people have not spoken. One was eight and a half years. Another one was five years. Another one has been two years. There has been no communication when they reach out, nothing. Is this the way that they just, one of my patients got extremely ill um, with irritable bowel syndrome, syndrome and ended up on a ventilator. I mean, it was, and she realized the stress was really impacting her physical and emotional health. I mean, there's no communication here. There is not, if there's no communication, if they're not, if they have offered an olive leaf and the son and the daughter-in-law has not been willing to accept it, then at this point, they just have to kind of live their lives. And I'm not okay. saying that they should not continue to try, even, you know, during holidays and a card or call or, you know, make sure that on their part that they have shown each year or multiple times at the year that they've reached out. However, they can't allow themselves to get to the point where they're sick. They're still going to have to live their lives realizing that they have done their part and that they cannot live concerned and consumed by this negative situation. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Dr. June Hall is my guest. She's affectionately known as Dr. June, and she's the founder of Time to Accentuate Positive Thinking. I believe in that, too. She facilitates personal and professional development workshops and also is a nationally syndicated advice columnist with Tribune Content Services, a public speaker and host of her YouTube show, Cooking Up Advice. Thanks for staying on the line, Dr. June. If you have a Absolutely. question for Dr. If you have a question, thanks for Dr. June. The number to call is one 9898 That's 1-877-399-9898. Don't be shy. If you have something burning, something that has been driving you crazy, give us a call. Um, what are some of the other questions that you uh, receive, Dr. June, from uh, those who read your column? I receive um, a lot of parenting questions. My children are adults and just finished graduating from college and are moving away. Do you think it's too soon? <laughs> it's like, right. uh, can you let them grow up? You know, if they want to get a job out of town, it's okay. Exactly, <laughs> so exactly. Let me I ask you, how much, is the heli- <laughs> how much does the helicopter parent or the snowplow parent affect um, how kids, how fast kids grow up today? I think it actually slows them down. If you Mm -hmm. are the helicopter parent, because you're not allowing them the opportunity to expand their growth and make their own mistakes. And that needs to happen before they leave and go to college or go off on their own. So you need to kind of like loosen up the leash so that they can have more opportunities to find out how the real world is while you're there to still protect them and help them and reel them in. And so I think that that's one of the things that parents forget, the helicopter parents, when they're doing everything for their children. Exactly. I have a text message here from somebody. Dear Dr. June, great advice so far. My daughter and her husband have racked up hundreds of thousands of dollars of student debt. 
they have three children, they cannot afford a house, they had to file bankruptcy, and they are now living with me rent-free. What other choices do I have since I live alone, or, or used to live alone, since I am a single mother, now spending my retirement money on my son, my daughter, his wife, and their sons? Wow. She needs to actually have a, um, uh, I don't, I don't want to offend anybody, but the term is come to Jesus meeting, <laughs> so mm-hmm. to speak. And so, I mean, if they're adults, they should be working. Even if, I don't even know how old their child is, if their child is old enough, their child should be getting a job too. But actually, they should, she should put some ground rules down and say, okay, you've moved in at this time. I'm going to give you however many months, six months, however many months to get your act together, to get your own place, mm. a rental or something of the sort. And they should be giving her something. They should be working. And if, if they need to give her a certain amount so she can put it away so that they can make sure they have enough to do the first month um, and last month deposit right. on a place to live something of that nature but she has to make that decision maybe she's uncomfortable because you know she doesn't want to lose the relationship that you talked about but that's something Mm -hmm. that she has to do because it's time for them to grow up and and kind of move out and do their own thing and have their own life and she can also say that too i i would think that you know in a nice way that you would want to have your own space instead of living with your mom you know something like that yeah I mean, the the daughter, the, the son-in-law, and three kids <laughs> are there. Um, talk about not letting go. Dr. June, I, I hate to let go of you. You've been amazing. Thank you so much. I'd love to have Thank you back you. on the program. And um, people can learn a little bit more about you on your YouTube show, Cooking Up Advice. That is Dr. June. Sure. Our... Or they Excellent. can visit my Thank website, Dr. June Hall. How simple is that? <laughs> that is so simple. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon. You got questions? She's got answers. The nurse is in for Nurse Talk. Welcome to the second hour of the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath here hosting this program for you. In this hour, we're going to be talking about uh, reasons women pay for sex. You might not think that women pay for sex, but we do. And also going to be talking about myocarditis. That's been in the news quite a bit lately. And I just thought I would let you know what that is, what the symptoms are, and what the treatment is also but right now coming up right now straight up right here erectile dysfunction is defined as the inability to attain and or maintain an erection adequate for penetrative sex and most of you i bet would think this only impacts the old guys right then why does my next guest a young guy want to talk about it my guest is aaron canada he's a journalist best known for his broadcast work in professional and collegiate baseball, a film and television production sound mixer, and an award-winning documentary short director-producer. He has a mild but manageable addiction to Chipotle and ginger ale, and also is the producer of the documentary, Let's Talk About It. And we're going to talk about it right here on the Sunday Night Health Show. Good evening, Aaron. How are you? Hi, I'm well. Uh, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. So, um... Thanks so much for joining me on the program to talk about a subject that many, many men are embarrassed to talk about. And and many men uh, who are much older than you are, um, many men are so embarrassed, in fact, that they don't want to get treatment for it. 
But a lot of people might not realize that this just doesn't affect older men. It affects, it may affect young men as well, such as yourself. So tell me a little bit, I mean, there's just so much to talk about here, but uh, let's start with the documentary. Um, why was it important for you to do this documentary and, and w- what was your goal here? Yeah, so um, it's, it's a short documentary. It's about 17 and a half minutes. Um, initially, I wanted to make it a, a full feature length, you know, which uh, anything over 40 minutes is a feature length. Um, but, you know, certain circumstances led me to make it just into a short um, but really, the, the reason that I wanted to make it is I, I, I realized I'd never seen anything of substance in mainstream media about erectile dysfunction unless it was an ad uh, or it was being made fun of, uh, which guys out there, I think, can, you know, that have ED, I think they can identify with that. And, and I, I think they're all nodding their heads right now listening uh, to that to that idea. So, yeah, I wanted to get something out there um, that would just speak for those of us who who have it, but you know, feel uncomfortable talking about it or feel like we're alone. Um, and it's, it's been met with some really positive feedback from filmmakers, from sexual health professionals, and also other guys who have it. Um, I've had a couple of guys reach out to me who I've known literally for decades. And they were like, hey, man, you know, keep doing what you're doing because I have this as well. And, and because you presented it in such a frank and honest manner and you're willing to put yourself out there, I feel comfortable talking to, you know, my significant other or my friends to seek support and treatment. So it's, it's been really cool. And, and so as you say, um, men like you ha- have experienced this and, and, and young men can experience this. And, and what are some of the feelings and the thoughts that go through a man's mind, uh, especially if it's a young guy that is facing this issue? What are, what are some of the issues that they deal with? Uh, so some of the thoughts that go through your mind is, oh, God, I don't like this. That, that's what I remember feeling most often um, early on and, and just continuously um, over the years. Every time, you know, it, it, sometimes it was sporadic. Sometimes I'd be with a partner and everything would work fine. Sometimes I'd be with a partner and absolutely nothing was happening. And it's just, you know, you question, why is this happening? You know, is there is there a you know, what, what is this all about? But, but underlying everything is just, man, I really don't like this. And, you know, I, I tried talking to some friends about it here and there, because honestly, when it first started happening, I, I thought it was probably a normal thing. Um, I was going to say, did like you I know could... what this was? Did you, did you, you know, you're, you're a young guy now. You're, I think you're, are you like 34 years old or something? <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm 37 now. Um, oh, 37. Okay. Yeah, when I was about 16 or 17. And it never really clicked um, until I was about 33, 34 that, oh, this is ED. You know, for for the longest time there it was just like, oh, well, this is just something that happens. And so I tried to talk to my friends about it early on because I assumed they probably dealt with it as well. And no one, not a single person. Nobody really understood where I was coming from. Nobody understood what I was trying to ask about. Uh, because it just didn't happen to them. Um, and so, you know, over the years, I realized, all right, this is something that affects probably just me. Um, I, you know, and it, it, and despite, you know, Viagra being out there and everything, it never really clicked. It's like, oh, this is ED. You should probably get checked out. And then it, it took dating a literal doctor. She was a, she had a doctorate in pharmacology for the light bulb to go off and go, oh, that this is OK. This is what this is. I should probably talk to her specifically about it. Right. Was this someone you were dating by chance? No. Um, yeah. You, you, mm-hmm. you, you, sorry. So it was somebody that you were dating. 
Yeah, um, and, and it, it, we had just started dating, too, and I was having, you know, these issues. We were going to the bedroom, and absolutely nothing's happening. And so she texted me and said, you know, I really just, I don't think this is working. I don't think I'm doing this for you. And literally, that's when the light bulb went off that, you know, made me realize, oh, this is ED, and this is someone I can talk to about this. And I texted her back. I was like, look, I'm, I'm going to tell you something that I haven't told too many people but I think I have ED. And she, she was like, oh, well, yeah, it's very common. Here, go, go talk to your primary doctor, see what he can do for you, et cetera, et cetera. But it took dating a doctor for me to even realize that this is what was happening to me. <laughs> exactly. Well, the 2013 study published in the Journal of Sexual Medicine suggested that ED was way more common among younger men than previously thought. And in fact, researchers found that erectile dysfunction affected 26% of adult men under the age of 40, and almost half of these young men had severe AD. So so your suspicion was that after you were diagnosed, perhaps, and then going on to the film, or creating the film, was that perhaps there's a lot more men like me. It isn't just me. Perhaps there's others out there that are aimlessly trying to find uh, out what's going on. Yeah, and, and the, the unfortunate thing is there's not a lot of information on the Internet that you can rely on as something that you can say, okay, this is concrete evidence. Um, but what I, you know, I just started researching when I, I decided I was going to do the film, and I came across a study, I think out of the University of Wisconsin, that estimated that uh, for every decade of life, the number of men afflicted with ED goes up 10%. So 10% of the uh, men in their teens, 20% of men in their 20s. And so I just, you know, found any census that I could find that's broken down by age and gender and did the basic math. And consistently it came out to about 35 to 40 percent of men across all age groups, um, you know, th- th- which works out to roughly 50, 55 million men in America, depending on the census that you're looking at. And then if you expand worldwide, that's over a billion men that are afflicted with ED. So that's their problem. No, um, this could significantly affect a man's psychosocial well-being. Uh, and, and I'm certain that you've spoken to a number of men now, who young men who experience erectile dysfunction. Um, do you find that um, a lot of men have uh, said that it ha- impacted their mental health? So surprisingly enough, I've not yet really spoken to many men who have it because, again, it's still something, you know, even if, they, if, if they've seen the short or they've heard me talk about it, they'll talk to me about it. But it's right. very, very few men who have actually reached out to me or, you know, felt comfortable talking to me about it. Like, I'll have guys who, um, you know, who I, who I know have probably been having issues just based on what they've kind of tiptoed around. They've seen my film. They've talked to me about my own affliction. But they still can't, you know, get over that hurdle. They still can't break their own silence to talk to somebody about it because either they don't want to admit it to themselves or it's just it's still something they're so ashamed about. Right. I see that in my clinical practice. Now, a lot of men do talk to me about erectile dysfunction, I have to say. Um, Mm -hmm. And in fact, they might present with bladder issues, especially older men in general. But I've certainly had young men in my clinical practice present with erectile dysfunction. And, and, you know, the reasons are, are many. They're, they're multifaceted as well. There's so many um, specific causes of ED, which is why it's critical to identify those specific causes before proceeding with, um, you know, potentially costly and invasive and, and maybe ineffective therapeutic options, which are out there. There's a lot of, you know, expensive treatments offered out there today that may or may not work for likely 
will not work for a man, especially if they don't have a proper sexual health assessment. But what I, I, I digress, but what I, I have found with men is that they are highly embarrassed about it. And, and so they might come to see me and they will talk about their bladder health issues after prostatectomy, for example. And they can be in their 40s, 50s, 60s. And, and then kind of at the end of the, well, these days they're all virtual appointments, but kind of at the end of the appointment, they'll be like, oh yeah, and there's this ED, I also have that too. And you know, the cliffhanger. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, I need to get on to the next guy. Anyway, um, but it's hard for them pun intended, <laughs> it's very challenging for them to um, talk about this. And, and but, but sex is a great motivator um, for a lot of guys. And But it's also, I think there's, which is why I loved your film, because a lot of uh, men and people and don't believe that there are effective treatments for erectile dysfunction, um, mm-hmm. which is what I'd like to talk to you about. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Aaron Canada is my guest. He's from the U.S. actually. (laughs) Hey, Aaron, thanks for staying on the line. Aaron is a filmmaker, (laughs) and he's done a fabulous 17-minute documentary about erectile dysfunction uh, called Let's Talk About It. So, Aaron, um, once you realized that this was a problem and there was treatment for it, um, what did you do next in terms of was it important for you to find out the cause of the your erectile dysfunction so i'll tell you it's it never really occurred to me until i started doing research for this film that i should look for a cause uh i was just more concerned with uh how do i you know how do i how do i fix this what what remedies are there etc um so i went to my primary um and you know, knowing what I know now, he, he should have done a full workup. Let's check your heart. Let's check your vitals. At, you know, mm-hmm. let's, let's check your, your mental health status. Uh, what I got instead was a five-minute history lesson on how Viagra was discovered. Uh, and then I got a little, uh, little prescription for Viagra. Uh, yeah. um, so, I, you know, until I, again, until I started doing research, I didn't realize, like, oh, I should probably try to figure out why this is happening. Um, and that's right. the, the biggest advice I have for guys that, that are experiencing ED. You need to get checked out pretty quickly because there could be, you know, there could be something affecting your heart and your penis is the first thing is like the, the canary in the coal mine. Um, exactly. So I'm still working towards figuring out the underlying condition. That's actually going to be part of the, the upcoming feature length documentary that we're going to make. Um, I'm fairly certain it's an anxiety issue. The generalized anxiety is, is something I've struggled with my entire life. You know, I'm on mm-hmm. edge literally every second of the day. Um, and with adrenaline, you know, adrenaline can keep certain things from rising to the occasion, if you will. Um, and but, yeah, that's that's something that that I encourage everybody to do. If you're experiencing ED is just go figure out what's causing it, because it's not a one off. It's not an isolated thing. Right now, did the Viagra work for you? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, which <laughs> it was very Do you think surprising. it was the placebo was... effect? <laughs> Um, no, I could, because, you know, I, I, and I've, I've tried, I've, I've been using sildenafil, uh, fairly regularly, um, ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I think the, the circumstance that I found myself in, I was laying in bed with the girl that I was dating. Um, I, you know, I was just as nervous, just as anxious as I had been the prior two times we had tried to, to get intimate together and nothing was happening. Um, and roughly 30 minutes after I took, you know, took Viagra for the first time, 
um, it, the anxiety didn't matter. Like things were happening immediately to the point that I was, I was actually kind of sh- like taken aback by it. Like, oh, wow, this is, this is happening. That's awesome. <laughs> right, right. Um, I remember we, I was involved in a brief research study. We ended that study early. Uh, it was about erectile dysfunction and depression. And it was a study that involved sildenafil as well. And if if the erectile dysfunction was treated, was the depression resolved? And, you know, early data <laughs> indicated yes, yes, yes. Um, many happy men left that clinic. But, um, you know, stress and anxiety and lifestyle factors can contribute uh, to erectile dysfunction at any age. But physical factors typically play a role uh, later in life. Um, for older men. But mental health issues, mental health is so important, and we've seen that in the pandemic. But also another one is sleep apnea can also be a reason for erectile dysfunction. And a lot of people live with sleep apnea, which is very dangerous as well on your heart, um, and can impact obviously your erections. Hypertension is something else that can contribute to uh, erectile dysfunction, heart disease, which you mentioned, obesity, chronic kidney disease, Peyronie's disease, hypogonadism, and penile abnormalities such as those affecting the foreskin or an injury to the penis or, or a neurological injury as well, especially spinal cord injury or prostate cancer uh, or pelvic injuries. Um, but, you know, one of the things that in my clinic, I uh, treat a lot of men with erectile dysfunction. They've tried sildenafil and um, uh, Cialis and Staxon, Levitra, and um, they, uh, you know, they don't like the side effects. They get the uh, nasal congestion, the heart pounding, and but they're oftentimes overweight, especially in the gut. And so um, the their healthy diet, we take a look at that, their unhealthy diet, and um, I actually devised this all-in diet, um, or actually help them to deal with their, manage their stress as well. So have you done anything around managing your stress um, to help your ED? Or your life in general? Yeah, I've certainly tried. Um, and, and when you've been living with anxiety your whole, like literally since your first conscious memory, um, you try to find mm-hmm. coping me- mechanisms and things to to chill yourself out. Um, I, I think I think you know anything that you can do is as long as you're not self medicating with substances. Which I'll you know to be totally honest, I'll be I'll be open with you. I I tried self medicating for many many years. I had a drinking problem. I abused substances. Um, finally, you know, thankfully, I just decided, you know, the old adage, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Um, right. And so now it's just kind of working through your issues any way that you can. Um, well, it's excellent. But, and, you know, unfortunately, we're up against the uh, clock here. Uh, where can people find your video? Uh, so you can, you, uh, you can go to sexualdysfunctionfilm.com. That is the leftover from our Kickstarter campaign, but we've got the uh, the short documentary there embedded, so you can watch it in full at sexualdysfunctionfilm.com. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week.